Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Match Ball. Hello, welcome to this very special edition of the Matchball, the Matchball 30. I'm Dan Moylan. Hello. With me, Michael Normanson. Hello. As is Moscow White. Daniel Chapman. Hello. This is a two-year project. Uh, 30 years on from the real-life events, we are going to be charting the journey from Leeds United's return to the top flight to lifting the championship trophy in 1992. Taking that journey game by game and doing a Matchball on the 30th anniversary of each match. I mean, the original thought was to cover up a big gap while there was no actual football going on, but football's coming back quicker. But we decided to press ahead anyway. And I, I believe it was a good time as well. It does coincide with the, the two seasons that we are going to be covering on the actual match ball over the next 24 months as we, we finished fourth in the Premier League and then march on to winning the Premiership. It's not called the Premiership anymore. The first division straight after that. So tracking the two together, it's... Double the pleasure. And if you weren't there first time round, hopefully you'll be able to get a little flavour or a sense of what it was like seeing that journey from getting promoted and returning to the top flight a little bit daunted to suddenly finding ourselves in the top four and then just almost bizarrely winning the league the year after. But football back then, the top was not as far away, you know, from Division Two as it is perhaps now. No, although the... um one thing that does stay the same is that the football authorities did their absolute level best to keep us as far away from the top as possible. And this is where we start our story. In the summer of 1990, Leeds United, having got promoted at Bournemouth amid widespread disorder, found on the eve of the season, the FA wanted to deal with the aftermath of Bournemouth. They had all summer to sort this out, much as they had all of the previous season not to hold the game in Bournemouth on a bank holiday, which as Leeds kept insisting throughout the whole thing was the root cause of every problem there. So they spent um, all summer investigating. It's something that Leeds themselves actually welcomed. They said, yeah, we're, we're, we're happy to have this looked at to, uh, to basically highlight the mistakes that the Football League and Football Association made. Um, the FA took a different view as to who was, uh, who was to blame on this. It was all Leeds United's fault. Leeds United were wrong in every respect. And as such, they should be punished and they should be punished two days before playing Everton. I mean, so the Bournemouth where sorry banner on the Pacific Hall wasn't quite enough then? No, neither was the... Um, we had a, a, a post-season friendly against Genoa when we lifted the trophy and um, Gordon Strachan deliberately missed a penalty, which was quite nice because he, he felt that they'd, uh, they'd come a long way with Strachan's quote. They travelled a long way. They were down to 10 men and perhaps it was harsh to send the player off. So I thought I'd try and hit the post. And he was dubbed a little gentleman 
by the, the Genovese visitors who then um, missed the penalty themselves at the end. So we, we basically turned ourselves, much as Bielsa did with the, the FIFA Fair Play Award, into the fairest team in the world. The FA's decision on the eve of the season, they described it themselves as a suspended death sentence, which, I mean, if you want to make it dramatic... Those are the words to use, although if you do want to make something dramatic, you maybe don't send Graham Kelly out to announce this decision, who people may remember he was the person who used to do the FA Cup draw. And um, he had a sort of a, he was a very soft looking fellow. He was like a, like a talking pillow. He kind of had a um, a voice that's somewhere between kind of Ken Bates and a castrato. Yeah, a very reedy, high pitched warble kind of a voice, which I shall now attempt to do. If there's any disorder surrounding their matches during the current season, and leads are found not to have taken the required precautions, we will consider closing the ground or making them play behind closed doors for four matches. And if that doesn't solve the problem, we will consider withdrawing their affiliation from the football association. This is a very serious measure because it means effectively the club won't be able to operate. It will be Close down fully. That concludes the draw for the fourth round of the FA Cup. Ties to be played for the weekend, 14th of February. Bye bye. <laughs> People wonder why they put so much effort into trying to jazz up the draws now, is because they're still recovering from years of Graham Kelly doing it in case people didn't quite understand that it was um one incident of disorder in the first division and we have to play four matches behind closed doors which doesn't sound like a, a massive deal but Leeds calculated it would cost them a million pounds which bearing in mind we'd only just bought our first million pound footballers is kind of a you know it'd be the equivalent of 15 million if you say that as the average transfer price now so it was going to cost a lot of money and then for if it was two incidents of disorder the club would just be closed down altogether bearing in mind that teams like Millwall and West Ham and Chelsea had been romping up and down the country causing chaos throughout the 1980s and it never come anywhere close to this kind of punishment it seemed absolutely bizarre how draconian uh, the FA were being I suppose it feels ridiculously far away but I suppose you've got to remember as well Paris 75 had only actually been you know, 15 years ago at this point, which I guess in a modern term is like going, does going back to as much as we might not want to remember it, like Ken Bates's first year in charge, which, which I suppose in modern terms doesn't seem all that long ago, even though I consider Paris 75 and Wilco to be completely separate eras. And even more so when you consider, you know, the Bradford fire had happened in 1985, they'd moved to Odsall and the chip van was 1986. So in, you're only talking about a distance of four years at this point. I mean, Leeds did have a, a very, very bad record through the 1980s, but the the argument they kept making at this point was that they'd done more than any other club to change that around. Um, Howard Wilkinson was appointed in October 1988 and Cess Pod was appointed at the same time as the community officer to change the perceptions of the club in the, the city so that more fans from different ethnic backgrounds would want to come to Leeds in safety. And their record in the second division in the promotion year, when there were more fans following Leeds than it ever followed Leeds at any point during the 1980s, was perfect. There was absolutely no problem at all throughout the entire season until this game that Leeds had flagged up from the very beginning of the season and said, look, don't hold a potential promotion decider 
in a seaside resort in a tiny stadium on a bank holiday weekend if you don't want trouble. Leeds, who had put all the effort into stopping things from, from happening, knew that this was a, a powder keg and the Football League and the FA just went, now nah, I'll be fine. The police were saying, don't, don't hold this game. Now nah, be fine. So it seemed like it gave absolutely no credits to the club for all the good things it had done. And instead, it, it was like they were punishing the Paris 75 club or the Odsall 86 club rather than the 1990 Leeds United. Things had certainly moved on in the football world and we were in the immediate aftermath of the Taylor report that followed in the wake of the Hillsborough disaster in April 1989. And that affected the capacity at Ellen Road, which had been set for the new season. Yep, 32,000 people. So it was actually a little bit down from the the promotion year, but it was higher than um, 30,000 that they thought they'd be allowed. The the Taylor report before it it equaled all seats of stadiums. It was all about how many you could safely have in each section and it was constantly being recalculated. You can, people look at the the capacity of Elland Road now and say, how many is in a sellout? In the 1990, the start of the 90s, you were, calculating it week by week because Bill Fotherby was basically the the managing director and was constantly saying like if we open up that bit how many people can we get in there how many will uh, the FA allow in there and say oh right we can get another 500 in there and was uh, doing it that way they got more than they'd um, uh, expected and they'd also done a a move around again that you'd think the Football League and the FA would like that the South Stand uh, became an all-seated family stand which is an entirely new concept uh, Leeds United that we were going to be actively welcoming families to sit behind the goal. Were the exact boxes in the South Stand by then? Yes, they will have been because they were put in by Bill Fotherby after somebody showed him how you could do it with porter cabins. This is um, a credit to John Howe's book about Elland Road to this, but those um, exec boxes at the back of the South Stand are actually porter cabins that are bolted in and then put a facier over the front. So that's how they work. And the other big change ahead of the the season was um, the prices, of course, because first division football, expensive. Yeah, ticket prices were hikes, but the club climbed down again after fans protested, which goes to show it's been a long running problem. It's certainly not a new phenomenon. But more important than that, new stands. Are we getting a new stand? Well, this was what it was all justified to to pay for. Leslie Silver, the, the chairman, was saying that we've, uh, we can't go up and just become an average first division club. We have to... Uh, we, do not, we did not see the point of the City of Leeds having a half-cocked football club. We want to compete with the best and do not want to compete in the top division in handcuffs, which is why you have to give us much more money for your tickets. I think the, uh, the initial price rise on the cop was another 72 quid and then they climbed down to 42 quid. They kind of knocked £30 off what they wanted. But yeah, the, there were big plans being announced as well. A brand new two-tier stand on the Lowfields Road was being proposed and a, an improved two-tier west stand that would match it with then seated areas in the southwest corner where there weren't any in the southeast corner where um, the cheese wedge was just a, a barren corner um, at this point. And then there was also the matter that um, the Taylor report after the Hillsborough disaster meant that the, the cop would have to be seated soon. But yeah, they were planning 40,000 capacity and it was going to cost £20 million. Pounds. I mean, if you look at the... Uh, the Lowfields road stand, as was going into the first division, you can sort of see Leslie Silver's point. I've just been down the planning office to have a look at these, actually, and uh, lacking a bit of cladding, I would suggest. They might want to amend those plans, just for, to future-proof them, I think. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Well, no wonder the ticket prices had been hiked in this season because we had million pound footballers to pay for and incomings in this summer began with the first million pound player, John Lukic. Not a new face. In fact, very much exactly the same face as he had when he... Same haircut as well. He had when he, he left and basically the same haircut I think he'd had since he was eight years old. A player who started at Leeds, came through the youth system and uh, quite a story when he broke into the team due to David Harvey being injured and then played um, 146 consecutive games until um, because we were in Division 2 by the time he left and we were like he was way, way better than we were, basically. 22-year-old went to Arsenal for... A pitifully low fee, £75,000 and then another fifty grand if he played 15 games. He played 223 games for Arsenal, won the First Division, won the League Cup, should have played for England until George Graham basically went mad and tried to swap him with QPR for David Seaman, which pissed Lukic off. And um, yeah, so in the summer, the problem Leeds had in the, the Second Division was we Mervyn Day is a very, very good goalkeeper, but he's 34 and he's the only goalkeeper we had. There was um, Neil Edwards was a, a five foot seven, I think, backup goalkeeper. How did he get that far, being five foot seven? That's smaller than I am. He did all right in the, in the end. He had a, a, a reasonable career, but whenever, um, on the, the rare occasions that Mervyn Day was injured, we got uh, Chris Turner in on loan, who was one of Howard Wilkinson's old boys at Sheffield Wednesday. I think he would he would rather play anybody except... Neil Edwards. Um, yeah, it's a big statement. He's he should be the England goalkeeper, and um, to be going into the new season with a, a goalkeeper of that quality, it should stand us in good stead. And there's such a Leeds United flavour to the goalkeeper transfers around that time because Crystal Palace had signed Nigel Martin for one million pounds. He was the first one in March 1990. And as we were saying, then there was that sort of merry-go-round of keepers in that Arsenal signed David Seaman for one point three million, and we picked up Lukic which um, left questions over Mervyn Day at 34. John Lukic came in just shy of his 30th birthday at this point. I mean, looking at those transfers around that time, it is amazing. We seem to do structure our goalkeeper transfers in a way to lose the most money at this point. I mean, we sell, sell low, buy high seemed to be the option. 
Well, we'd sold uh, David Seaman in the first place. He couldn't get past John Lukic when they were both in our youth team. And I think we got £5,000 when we let David Seaman go in about 1978 or something ridiculous like that. It did become a dear do to, to get them back. But the problem with the problem with Lukic when he left, he, he left under a bit of a cloud in the, the 80s, but it was a problem where, as we saw with lots of players like Snodgrass and um, Housen and Gradle, he was just better than the level. As he then proved at Arsenal, he was absolutely sensational in the first division for them for years and is a, a bit of a legend at, at Arsenal and never grew a ridiculous ponytail, so should always be regarded as better than David Seaman. Mervyn Day had served Leeds admirably since the the mid-80s and was probably a, a bargain himself. I can't remember how much he cost, but he wasn't a, an expensive player. And he was a little bit disappointed to see John Lukic come in. He he did say that basically um, he realised that the club needed more than one goalkeeper. That was clear, that it was a million-pound goalkeeper who was obviously going to be first choice, I think hurt him a little bit because he'd spent so long working to get Leeds back into the first division and had done it. And then he wasn't going to play. But he did also, you know, he, he made the point. He's old enough at 35 and experienced enough just to know that that's how football works. And maybe he can hurt Lukic in training and take his... He didn't say that. That's the price you pay for coming out like a fucking Mary. <laughs> and moving on to the next million pound footballer that we got. And this was the one that made everybody sit up and take notice. Gary McAllister from Leicester City who we'd had a recent dalliance with in the famous Strachan Have You Ever Seen a Better Goal game against Leicester that sealed promotion. Gary McAllister signed for us for a million, who was hot property at this time and incredible to believe looking at him now because I, I always consider McAllister to be an old man, but he was 25 when we signed him. And he'd, uh, he'd been in the first division before he signed for Leicester from uh, Motherwell and played in the first division in their first season, got relegated with them and um, was trying to get back up with them and it, it was a an unusual transfer on the two fronts it wasn't only the um, ever seen a better goal game that he scored against us but at Filbert Street earlier in the season as well he'd been absolutely brilliant against Leeds um, and it did make you sit up and, and take notice of him uh, Brian Clough wanted him but um, yeah he was transferred to Nottingham Forest it was going to be either us or Forest essentially and uh, you'd think he'd fit beautifully into a Brian Clough passing team but um, Clough didn't exactly handle the meeting very well. Can you do a Brian Clough voice, Michael? <laughs> I should have seen this coming, shouldn't I? You can't head the ball. You can't head the ball. You can't tackle. Is that about right? That's good. Something like that. Yeah. Hey, Ma- Michael Sheen can piss off. Let's get you for the sequel. You can't head the ball. You can't tackle, and you can't chase back. But you can control the ball, and you can pass to one of your teammates. He didn't like his cowboy boots either. That was Clough's other problem. McAllister, a very fashionable chap. Gary McAllister always paid a lot of attention to um, how he was dressed and how he was looking. And yeah, he turned up for this meeting with um, with Brian Clough that he thought would basically be the last the last one before he signed for for Forest. And Cluffy didn't appreciate his cowboy boots. Whereas you think Bill Fotherby's going to absolutely love those cowboy boots. Bill Fotherby just loved signing players, and he loved signing them for Howard Wilkinson and, and making them happy. The um, the story of Fotherby signing McAllister was all to do with the fact that because McAllister was in the Scotland World Cup squad, they wanted to get this done before he went to Italy for that, expecting him to have a brilliant tournament and then be worth £5 million. Scotland in a World Cup might be uh, worth explaining to younger viewers as well. (laughs) So he got a hold of him on a golf course and basically 
insisted that he was not going to Italy without signing for Leeds United. And McAllister uh, came down to it. He said, all right, to prove how much you want me to sign, that Mercedes that you've driven here in, give me that car. And Fodderby, in classic Fodderby style, said, Gary, I will give you that car. And didn't tell him, it's not my car. <laughs> it was a sponsored car, so it wasn't even his. And um, But as uh, yeah, Fotheby's uh, comment later, he says, I could always get him a Mercedes, not a problem. So I just say, I'll give him that one and go and get him another one. And I love the, um, a lot of Fotheby's work at this time was to, basically Howard Wilkinson would give him a list of players and say, please go and get me these players. So at 10 minutes to midnight, um, Howard Wilkinson, if you can picture this, on holiday in Ibiza. Crawling out of manumission, chewing his face off. It was described as the end of a, a, a night of good food and good wine. <laughs> but so um, euphemistically, you might not be far wrong. But Fotherby told him, said he'd, yeah, the deal is done. And um, Wilkinson's reaction was to shout back at him, fuck off. I think that was joyous, don't we? We think it was a, probably a joyous one. And it does signal a culture change for what's coming in this forthcoming season where Leeds have got promoted with Batty and um, Vinnie Jones and the likes of Chris Kamara basically enforcing their way out of the second division into the top division. But signing McAllister signalled a real culture shift. Yeah, we basically didn't have a midfield in Division 2. So this was quite an interesting change. And we'd sold um, John Sheridan to uh, Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest where he, he didn't play him. I think he accused John Sheridan of not being able to run and then sold him to Sheffield Wednesday after four games. But the other thing that was happening in the summer at Elland Road was the pitch was being relayed. At this point, we were sharing Elland Road with Hunslet Rugby League team. And also, um, like the all the Junior Cup competitions had their finals there. And, and Wilkinson basically looked at the pitch, as was in second division, said, right, we can't play football on that. We'll just boot it long to, uh, to first Ian Baird, then Lee Chapman, and we'll just play where there is actually some grass. But now with a relayed pitch and a player like Gary McAllister coming in, it did raise the question of of what the style was going to be in the first division, whether we were going to try taking on teams at their own game. And the other big signing for £450,000 from West Brom was Chris White, a, a centre-backer we didn't know a great deal about, started out at Arsenal, but by the mid-1980s has taken an unconventional path playing indoor six-a-side soccer in the USA for New York Express and the LA Lasers. Pachoo! Played over 100 games there. West Brom at this point are offering to make him the best paid player in their history to stay with them, but they hadn't done great. They'd finished 20th in the second tier that season. And we picked him up and went on to unite him with the other Chris, Chris Fairclough, the supporters player of the year at centre-half. And we'll see a partnership that flourished over the next two seasons. He was an interesting buy because um, Fairclough had obviously been brilliant since signing from Tottenham. And, uh, but Peter Haddock had been a, a superb in the promotion season, probably a rival to, to Fairclough for Player of the Year. So how Chris White was going to fit in there. But we needed some more strength at the back, some competition at least, because um, Noel Blake had gone uh, during the previous season. John McClelland um, was a canny old man at this point. But his uh, yeah his record in, in indoor soccer 38 goals and 35 assists in those 103 games um so whether we were also going to start sticking him in midfield or maybe up front as a as a playmaker to set up Lee Chapman it was going to be interesting to see how how Chris White fit in and some names here that people will recall being linked with Leeds over and over and if not you might be surprised to learn that some of these names were linked with Leeds United. There were constant rumours about Peter Beardsley, who was at Liverpool at this point, uh, being rumoured to come to Leeds, including uh, rumours of a swap deal 
uh, for David Batty and a million quid. Um, David O'Leary. Got him in the end, didn't we? We did get him in the end. And a bunch of strikers who were always linked with us during this period. Um, and you remember, no internet at this point, so it was all through the papers. Some some real big names in here. Robert Fleck, Bernie Slaven, John Aldridge, John Aldridge of Real Sociedad, no less, Brian Dean, David Speedy, Don Goodman. I mean, please no. And Mickey Quinn as well. The striker, it was interesting that we didn't actually end up signing a striker, which when we'd bought this uh, silky playmaker for midfield and you're thinking, well, perhaps we're going to be playing a new a new passing game and that's why Peter Beardsley would, would have fitted into that wonderfully, the uh, the Newcastle Messi. Because Lee Chapman up front had come in in January in the promotion season, scored loads of goals to get us up. But was he the cultured forward for the first division? Well, we would find out over the next season or two. On the way out, John Hendry was brought in for quite reasonably big money for the second division promotion, went out to Middlesbrough for over half a million quid. And he'd never particularly pulled up any trees. I don't look back on his stay at Ellen Roads and consider it a massive success, but he had been suffering with injuries. Yeah, Swindon's John Gittens basically tried to take his leg off when he was coming into form at the start of the season and he never really got over that. He did. The whole midfield question was interesting. There was a lot of rumours about whether Vinnie Jones was going to be sold, how McAllister was going to, to fit in. And obviously the the star of the end of the season had been Gary Speed, but he'd only played 13 games for us and a few substitute appearances. So whether he was going to be of the quality as a as a 20-year-old to go straight into the the first division and flourish, it seemed a bit of a risk to be letting uh, Hendry go. But he never, he was one of the the magnificent seven that we signed for promotion that, that never really fit in. Also on the way out, Carl Schutz was on loan to Malmo until October. Probably the last we'll hear of him, I would imagine. Mickey Thomas as well, who, such a colourful character. That's probably an episode all on its own, The Life and Times of Mickey Thomas. Would, would suggest probably at least start with his Wikipedia page. Brendan Ormsby and Neil Parsley went out on, on free transfers. And so we come to the eve of kickoff and the thoughts of Howard Wilkinson. Can you do a Howard Wilkinson voice, Michael? <laughs> I don't think I can, you know. I'll, I'll leave it to you. Looking back, I'm not sure people know how well Wilkinson kind of got a grip on the the idea of supporting Leeds. But when we're going into the Leeds scum our back season with our manager talking about how there is a deep-rooted dislike of Leeds across the country, which we've got to try and do something about it, but we won't do something about it by getting paranoid. Uh, we've got to go out there and um, and do things our way. That's he, he was a big Frank Sinatra fan, as well as Barbara Streisand, and he said that the season would be a voyage into the unknown. But what we do know is we'll do it my way. Our season last year was confirmation that our methods were the right sort of methods. If people disagreed with them, that's up to them. The criticism that was aimed at us tended to be wildly out of proportion. And the criticism in Division 2 was that we were just a long ball team. We had an offside trap. We didn't play football. We were cloggers. We were foul. Vinnie Jones was a thug. The, the fans were violent and out of control. McAllister, Lukic, Chris White, New Pitch, Gary Speed going to be interesting to see whether we would be attacking the first division with everybody's preconceptions or whether it would be a new look leads for the first division and the first test of Leeds United's aspirations would come in a tough tie at Goodison Park so join us for that the first match day episodes of the match ball 30 on August the 25th as we take on Everton the match ball hey 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.